Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to start talking about what does it mean to be human? How are we human? I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're figuring a lot of things out. I'm Craig. <laughs> and I'm Carla. And we're trying to understand being human from the perspective, perspective of God's story in the Bible. It's more than just being a species like Homo sapiens. We think it's about community, about relationships, and about welcoming. We're figuring it out, still. So, join us as we do. Because we're not holier than you. Oh, I didn't want that to rhyme. So, we're beginning a new podcast called Not Holier Than You. Uh, and at least that's the, that's the title we came up with after uh, serious brainstorming. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and we want to look at the idea of, of uh, humanity. You know, what, is, what does it mean to be a human being? But um, doing it from God's perspective. Because when we look around, we see a lot of different definitions or descriptions of what it means to be human. And it depends on who's telling the story and where, what angle it comes from. So one of the places maybe to start is by thinking about where did we get our ideas of what it meant to be a human, a good human, a human being. So Carla, where, what, what, what do you think about being human and how did those thoughts come together? Well, um, you know, I didn't grow up in a super religious home or anything like that. Um, since we're doing this from the perspective of God and God's story, um, you know, I didn't really encounter God's, I, I, I encountered God's story as a kid, but not in um, a long-term kind of way, something that went, if I went to church on Sunday, I heard more about it during the week. So it wasn't until I was in high school that I began to attend a Young Life Club. And, and uh, you know, I, I had, you know, been a part of choirs and youth groups, but... Uh, without that emphasis at home, it just didn't seem to to connect. And then as a 16-year-old, I started thinking, well, this is kind of cool. I'm interested in this. And I began to um, think it was time to start following Jesus a lot more closely. But I would say I really didn't think much about what it meant to be human until I was about 30 or so and started my pastoral studies uh, even more started to think about theology and started to think about um, the incarnation of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that as a young life leader and such, but um, I didn't think about what that meant for me to be human. And so as we studied some theologians like T.F. Torrance and um, Ray Anderson, I began to think about, uh, through the help of my professor, the idea that um, humanity is not to be viewed through Adam, but we should view what we're meant to be as humans through Jesus, because Jesus redeemed our humanity through his life. And so I kind of emphasize the life of Jesus maybe a little bit more than I think about Adam. And, and looking at Jesus' life helps me to think about what it means to be human. And that means that I'm there for people, that um, I try to... Um, be present and to love, to listen, to care about more than just whether a person gets saved, but whether they also um, begin to walk in the way of Jesus as well. So maybe that's what it 
means for me thinking about being human. So you you mentioned being you know in seminary and do, studying the theology and, and going down that road. One of the mm -hmm. I remember when you were doing that because one of the phrases that just stuck with you as so powerful was the vicarious humanity of Christ. Ah, yeah. And yeah. you just chewed on that phrase so many years. Just it it really it really sunk deeply into you. Yes, yes, and that was from my professor Chris Kettler's uh, thesis. His, uh, well, I don't know if it was his thesis. Dissertation. His, his dissertation, yeah. And so it became a book, um, The Vicarious Humanity of Christ. And so if we think about, you know, um, I have never been to England, but I have gone there vicariously by looking at the photos, and so I've and, and watching the baking there. shows. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love and Downton Abbey, but um, with the whole idea of the vicarious humanity of Christ, it is so much more than just going and kind of observing. It the vicarious humanity of Christ means that Jesus took on our humanity. He lived it, he bore it, and he redeemed it. And therefore, humanity is that new humanity that's talked about in the Bible, um, that we are a new humanity in Christ. And so it's, it's much more than just being observational. Jesus entered into our world. I mean, John 1 talks about he pitched his tent among us. Um, the writer of Hebrews in the first few verses of chapter one talks about um, he is the exact imprint of God's very being. And so we see that not only was Jesus uh, divine, he was God in the flesh, he was also human in the flesh. And those didn't interfere with one another, they were just there together. So you, you, use a, you used a word, redeemed, in there, that Jesus redeemed our humanity. And when I grew up, I think probably that would have been the confession in the churches that I grew up in. It was, but the churches I grew, the church I grew up in, the tradition uh, was was Calvinist, and one of the things about Calvinism is its belief that that humanity is fallen, and redemption is not a big, uh, well, it's a big deal. But the main thing is human beings are bad, and, and being human means being bad. Wasn't the word used depraved? Probably, maybe, yeah. That, maybe not in your church. Yeah, not in my church. But, but, it, but it created, at least in my early understanding, is that the purpose of becoming a Christian, the purpose of becoming a follower of Jesus, is to transcend our humanity, to get rid of it, to go away from it or beyond it, and that we needed to be more spiritual. And that somehow uh, humanity uh, represented... Uh, things that were broken, fallen, irredeemable, whatever, and that we needed to get beyond all that. And so I remember when I was, you know, studying theology or starting philosophical theology in college and reading um, Paul Tillich and Ray Anderson, you know, I, I, they kept talking about how following Jesus uh, means being human, fully human. And I thought, well, being fully human just doesn't sound good enough because humanity is de yeah, depraved in the words you used earlier. And that's what's <laughs> kind of the beauty of this whole idea of the vicarious humanity of Christ is that um, we have too often gone back and looked at Adam as the measure of humanity and Eve, mainly Adam. Um, 
And we see that Adam was fallen. He was depraved. He, he and Eve were driven out of the garden of Eden and um, had to work and had to toil. Eve was going to be made new or made whole through the bearing of children. But if we look at Jesus as not just God in the flesh, but also having having our humanity. I mean, Paul also talks about that in Philippians 2, about being, um, taking on the flesh, taking on the form of a human being, I believe is the Greek in there. Um, he takes on our flesh and through his life, he shows us what it means. It's not, he's not just an example or a model, like some people say. He's taken on our flesh and he's truly healed it and made it new. And as we come forth from that new humanity that Jesus has created, we're uh, ushered into that as we choose to follow him and make him Lord of our life. We become humanized in Jesus. So before we get carried away, okay, that was, that was, good, that was a good sermon. Okay, sorry. But, but let's <laughs> pick up on, on a couple of things. What is, what is God's story of the human? Oh, golly. I mean, <laughs> so one of the, it, in the back of my mind when I was thinking about doing this, you know, starting a few weeks ago, part of it had to do with the, the incredible uh, brokenness of human relationships, mm -hmm. uh, the incredible polarization you know, that, that, that seems to be so much greater now than it had been in the past. Uh, the documentary Social Media makes a, I mean, yeah, The Social Dilemma makes a, a, an impressive um, illustration of how different people end up being fed different, quote unquote, facts or data based on their own prejudices, biases, and they just get deeper and deeper and deeper into that, that separation, that polarity. And it becomes so easy for us to define how much we aren't like somebody else. But if we have this idea that God is actually trying to bring people together, then just defining ourselves as not like the other person really doesn't help. We need to find out how can we define ourselves as human beings in a way that creates welcoming atmospheres, that brings people in. And I think that gets back to what is God's story in, bringing, in, in creating human beings? Because... God did not design the brokenness and the polarity that we experience. No. So can we get back to something original? <laughs> the original blessing, right. which is the title of a book. Matthew um, Fox. <clears throat> right. Um, but that whole idea of the original blessing is what was going on when God created the world, right? And um, that original blessing is that one, for one thing, God saw everything and said, it's good. This is good. Right. right. Um, and yet there was that break because of deception of, of a lie. Right. You know, what, one of the resources that Carla and I are both digging into is one of my favorite Bible teachers, a guy named Tim Mackey. Uh, and his view is, is in that almost anything in the whole Bible um, can be traced back to origins in the first three chapters of, of the Bible. And he's a Hebrew scholar, so that's probably why he keeps going back there. And the other conviction that, that Mackey has that, that I appreciate 
is that the Bible is a story that leads to Jesus. So Jesus remains the primary hermeneutical lens, the main thing, main, main perspective from which we view uh, the Bible. So when things come into, you know, they seem contradictory or things seem to be uh, speaking from another viewpoint, we still have Jesus as the primary um, lens through which to view things. Uh, that said, this idea of a original blessing is, isn't Mackey's idea, but I think it fits with what he, what he talks about. But when, do, when we do look at the creation story, endlessly, it's just one thing after another, it's good, it's good, it's good. And so everything that, that is created, God created and it was good. And one of the things that God created was the human being. Right. And so that goes against some of my, my the stuff in the back of my head that humanity is something to overcome. It's actually something to be. You mean being human is something to overcome or just well, humanity? Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm right. looking yeah, at that that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, being human isn't enough. And our humanity is a fallen thing. And so, yeah, we need to overcome. At least that's the way I used to think. Okay. We need to get beyond this humanity thing because it's fallen. We need to get spiritual. Okay. And I'm not there anymore. But I think that's kind of some of the language that I picked up in kind of evangelical Calvinism. Okay. So now in the beginning, well, we'll start the whole thing. But looking at, at um, verse 26 in chapter 1 of Genesis, and I'm reading out of the Com Common English Bible. It's a newer translation, and I really appreciate its its fresh translation, especially when it comes to issues of gender identity, because it really tries to speak, I think, as the Hebrew speaks. So it sounds a little bit different for some people when at verse 26. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the earth and all the crawling things on the earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Now, before I finish that verse, I want to go back and look at those ideas. So, God said, let us make humanity. Uh, the most translations say mankind. Right. And once it says mankind, it raises this idea that we are thinking Adam was first, Eve was second. Right. It was... But Male, male. <laughs> right? Which, which, if you if you stop and think about the existence of things, you can't really have plus without a minus. You can't have up without down. You can't have a man without a woman. You can't have male without female. All right, so you're getting into something here, kind of interesting sounding. So when God set out to create humanity, it was the human being and it, and at the first if 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 there was one created before the other there's really not a clear gender identity it's just a thing it's not separate or different from another one that's similar to it so the hebrew is not giving a male or a female it's not giving an a gender identity you're saying yeah and so and so the point is it wasn't like god created adam first now that's okay. a second story in genesis 2 okay but but in this story here um it's humanity that's created. The purpose isn't to create man or to create woman or one before or over or more importantly than another. It's to create human being, uh, the human being. And the human being, then in that second half of verse 27, 
So this idea of humanity, that, that what is a human being, it's part of God's own image. Right. To be human means to carry the image of God. And if we're thoughtful of what is in this version that you're reading, this uh, CEB, right? Right, Common English. Common English talks about us, right? We're going to make humanity like us, I think it said, or in well, our yeah, image. in our in our image, and along with the Hebrew traditions, most likely that's referring to the heavenly council, the heavenly host, the heavenly beings. Uh, it's since this is talking about you know speaking as Hebrews to Hebrews, it's nothing about Trinity or some of those other ideas okay. that usually get inserted um, by others. That's you know looking backward and trying to add what's called anachronism. It's out of time. It's okay. a- anachronistic. Um, but the Old Testament has this heavenly council. Uh, in fact, a member of the heavenly council is Hasatan. And we get this heavenly council in the beginning of the book of Job when God meets Satan, Satan and <laughs> says, hey, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been up and down and all around. You know, they have this they have this collegial relationship almost. Right. Um, but, you know, the, a phrase that people are familiar with is the heavenly host. Okay. Uh, but it's this heavenly council. Uh, and and depending on translations, they are either called divine beings, or even gods. And so when little the, g right. So when little the Psalms mm-hmm. when the Psalms will frequently speak of you know our uh, our, our uh, the Lord our God is is greater than other gods. It's not denying the existence of other gods. It's just saying what their place is. Okay. Uh, so so the, you got this our image, and that's part of that. Okay divine image. Well, that's good to know. So God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And so if the, ma- if the image is meant to be in us, in human beings, mm-hmm. it's in male and female, not one more than the other. And I don't even believe it's, and I'll pick this up, I think, from, from chapter two, but it's not really even meant to be necessarily in gender or sexual relationships. It's not just men and women. It's people together. When humanity comes together as humanity, that's where God's image is. In relationship. In relationship. And and so it's God creating his image or putting his image in humanity. And if we think it's only in um, you know the relationship between a man and a woman, we're we're not really as expansive as what God is. We're talking about humanity. So in a sense, we're limiting God by making this uh, image just male and female? Not only that, I think we're limiting God. We're also limiting the understanding of, of, of the, the fractured nature of God's image. That we have fractured. Right, right. So explain that. What do you mean by fractured image? Okay, so, so it... To define what is God's image, I, the God, the way God's image is portrayed here in this story, this poem in Genesis one, is creative. It is empowering others uh, because because later on we'll find out that these um, human beings have been given the power to rule with God. They are partners with God. Right. So this image of God is one of sharing and empowering, uh, of providing and creativity. I mean, that's at least some aspects of the of, of the divine image that's meant to be part of human beings. But when we look at human beings, you know, we can see we can see those generative elements of, of creativity, of uh, empowering others. 
But we also see, without having to look very far, the places where we oppress one another, mm-hmm. where we destroy the earth that we've meant to, we're, we're supposed to be caring for, and that we um, misuse one another. And, and it's not about sharing, empowering, and, and creativity. So we've, we've broken those images, that, that part of the, the image of God. Right. That really goes against what God was doing at the beginning of creation of right. creating of making something good right right so, so somehow we've so one aspect what, one, one piece <laughs> of being human then perhaps you know what does it mean to be human mm-hmm. one piece of that is to find um, to find our completion in relationships with others and sometimes that be, might begin well that begins at the beginning of our lives with our parents doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes that's why we maybe see some of this brokenness because sometimes children and parents don't always connect. Well. They're not fully nurturing. I mean, it's yeah. not it's not a positive relationship or a healthy atmosphere. Yeah. And so I think perhaps part of that brokenness is yearning for that completion one finds in another. It can become, you know, psychologically unhealthy to think I need to find my identity in another. Right. But it's our humanity aching for relationship and trying to find community. So, so I think a, a, a basic part of defining what does it mean to be human means it means to be in relationship. With others. With, 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 human, with other human beings. With other human beings, because that's part of chapter two. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the relationship is something that helps us to, it, we reflect one another in that. And we, and we don't want to narrow it down to just one or two people. We need to have broader opportunities to uh, co- connect with others, to look at who they are, kind of uh, allow them to maybe um, sharpen us a little bit, like in Proverbs, where it says one brother sharpens another. I mean, you know, like iron sharpens iron, like one brother sharpens another. That isn't just the two, it can be broader than that. And we find um, not only completion, perhaps, but just a help in becoming who we are, learning who we are. So hold, hold on, hold on to that idea. And uh, let's, let's look at the second creation story and think about what it means to be a human being here. And this was a huge insight for me as I heard about uh, and, and, sought to understand again the Hebrew which is not my forte but it's great to learn from what the original Hebrews thought about something rather than our overly processed English translations you know generation after generation so in the second creation story it's um, it doesn't begin with um, the, in the same way of you know the the spirit hovering over the face of the deep and and chaos and emptiness uh, it just says on the day that the Lord made the earth and sky, boom, it's there, you know, not the night to separate the day and all that stuff. And it goes on into plants and animals and goes through and talks about where the waters come from. And further on, it says, um, the Lord took the human and settled settled him in the Garden of Eden. Now, him, the him here in this tra- in this generation, this story comes much later than the than the first one. Uh, by much later, I mean centuries, maybe even millennia later. Okay. Um, and so this here is still, uh, when we have him, I believe this word is Adam. And it's the name we take to Adam. But Adam means earth creature. 
Or, or another way of talking about it, I think I heard it called mud being. <laughs> That's so, what I was thinking almost yeah, when you said that. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, and you can think of like the creature from the Black Lagoon kind of coming up out Ooh, of the sludge. out of the primordial mm. slime. The mud being. Um, <laughs> and so the mud being gets put in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. So immediately we get this image of what the what the human is to do is to be this partner with God, to caretake, to take care of things, to, okay. to work with God. And God says, eat your fill. Uh, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. We'll get into that on another time. Uh, the knowledge of good and evil, uh, because the day you eat from it, you will die. And go on with that story. Then um, where I want to pick up is in the story, this this Adam, this mud creature, is alone. And God brings all the creatures of that are around to parade before him. And it's kind of obvious to Adam and to God, these are not quite the relationships that are going to satisfy. Um, you know, when we get into our ideas of all-knowing God, of course God knew that, whatever. But still, that the story is important to set up this idea of separation. That's not quite me. Nice oxen, but no, that's not, that's not my circle of friends. There's not a reflection of myself in an oxen or a dog or a right, cat. Right. In, psych in psychology, the term is reciprocity. You know, when you see into the eyes of another and they, they respond and they acknowledge you, there, there's this beginning there. Now, some people would argue that dogs can really do that, but it's still not the same. That's true. I think dogs are closer. Cats are way far off. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in verse 20, the human named all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but a helper perfect for him was nowhere to be found. Hmm. Um, great, helper. great conversation on that word helper in yeah. other, in, I don't think, know if it fits Maybe here. not now, but later. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Lord put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took, as our English translations love to say, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord fashioned um, Isha, Isha? Is that right? Yeah, Isha, the woman, and brought her in to the human being. Here it's using the word human being in this story. The human said, and this is the mud creature, Ah, this one finally is bone of my bones, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because from a man she was taken. This is the reason a man leaves his mother and a father and, and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they weren't embarrassed. Um, okay, I'm just kind of going, but you're saying there's something not quite right with that translation. So, perhaps. so again, <laughs> a recent revelation um, is that the term "rib" does, is not a, a word that exists in the Hebrew language. Okay, what? Okay. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, if you say, oh, I'm taking something from the side of you, it could be, oh, my deltoid. Oh, it could be my oblique muscles. It could be my rib. It could be my hip. Wait, it could be my everything from my left eye all the way down to my left big toe and take the whole half of me. Okay. The whole half. So, so this word that gets translated as rib is something much bigger. Exactly. But, but maybe people didn't have a way of Articulating that, that or, or thinking it or figuring yeah. it through? Uh, or, or or are there generations already previous to this? I would like to find out, is it Latin? Is it the Vulgate? Is it where did it come from? Yeah. Who started, who started interpreting this way? But if we think of uh, 
God putting the human into a deep sleep and took half of him, half of the mud creature, the whole half. Okay. And I believe the Hebrew is the side of him. The side. And a human's got two sides. Right. So take one side, leave the other. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about, it makes me think of those old uh, movies where the damsel is tied to a log at the at the lumber mill and the hero's got to come in and save and her. And the saw's going to Yeah, her it's going to right down the middle. Right down the middle from so God top did, to bottom. So God did that. Oh, wow. Which also makes me wonder, much later on in the story when Abram is making a, a, um, a covenant with another tribe, or, and I can't remember exactly who it is, but they divide the animals in half and walk oh, between it. That's right. That's right. And it's like, okay, maybe on a, maybe that's a maybe that's a a tangent, but who knows? There might be something there about understanding these two halves of things. And okay. You, Is it it's not like the yin and the yang or whatever that I don't really think so. I say that right? No. Yeah, okay. because because what what God's ends up ends up doing though is instead of like yinging and yanging it, you take the two halves and you make them into one creature, one thing again. What God does with these two halves when after the mud creature sliced in half is creates two beings out of this. So so in a sense almost is taking the one half and the one half and Oh, gosh, it makes me think of the worm regenerating itself. But that just is probably really not a good a yeah. good analogy. But is is taking that and, oh, golly, I don't know how to do this, is, is growing that second, growing that other half it's, back. Okay, so what, what it does is it, is it, two things here. One, part of it is you have this uh, mud creature, or, and, and here, you know, the human, mm-hmm. the human is incomplete by itself. So at least according to this poem, part of the half of that human, you know, is, is made into another human being. So regeneration of worms, that's close, but, Not but quite. the point <laughs> is, this isn't a natural process. This is God acting to create two people. It's God in action. Right. It's God continuing to create. Continuing the act of creation, yeah. And 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 so when the poem goes on and it talks about at least the the kind of marriage covenant here, that the two become one flesh, it is saying that unity is found in the coming together of these things. To be human then is to reconnect the the separated parts. Right, because they already were one flesh. Exactly. They until, already were one flesh. Right, until God separated them in order to make two. And this is where I want to go with this. One, men have for a long time made women feel like you were just a rib. <laughs> Don't act out of your, your role there. You were just a rib. You're just a little part, and I have control over you because I got the whole body, you know. And and it's almost as if a woman is a derivative of man. Now, the other way the the, the sarcastic, humorous feminist saying is man was uh, humanity 1.0 or whatever, and women are the new improved version. Right. They, they, God got it wrong the first time, and he got it right the second time yeah. kind of a thing. And, yeah, and both that. And both of those ideas are completely wrong. Okay. 
is that what is right is humanity is made whole in the coming together of the disparate parts. Whether you're um, two men coming together to talk about something or two women coming together to, to connect or male and female coming together and connecting um, in a human way. So, and, and right? I don't, I, a couple of things. One is that I don't think it needs to be interpreted like you were saying. It's not necessarily exclusively sexually coming together. Right. It is and partnering with one another in a multitude of ways. And then secondarily, I'm not convinced that it's uh, exclusively men and women coming together sexually. I think it's just these covenant relationships coming together, you know, to be to be a whole humanity. Covenant meaning um, relationships of, of promise, of, of right. being willing to work together. Right. And it, and it doesn't have to be just one on one. It can be within groups. Yes. And so and so. So the concept here is humanity is made whole as human beings, individual human beings, come together. The ways in which they come together, it's, it's rich and it's varied. Uh, it's not a gendered story necessarily. It's more about human beings are whole when human beings come together. Okay. And that coming together came about via God's creative process. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking yeah. about that and thinking about what does that mean then to be human? How do we go about this human so, thing? <laughs> so here's here's one of the lessons I think is valuable to pick up out of this this in at the end of this second story. At the end of this poem, the two human beings, Ish Isha. Isha and Adam, is that right? Isha or Ish and Isha, male and female, or Adam and she's not called Eve yet. But um they look at each other and they see that they're different. And they look at each other and they're not humiliated by their difference. Okay. So most translations say something like embarrassed. Okay. You know, they were naked and they were not afraid. They were naked and they were not embarrassed. Okay. But think of it in terms of humiliation. Humiliation comes when we think that somebody else has something that I don't have that I should have or I'm less because I don't have that. I'm inferior in one way or the other. Right. Here there is no inferiority. Okay, there's equality there's between equa the two. There's equality between the two, and and we're okay being open about our vulnerabilities. I'm not like you, which also means there are things that you can do that I cannot do. That doesn't make me less. Okay, and being able to see that um, those differences, like you said, doesn't make the other feel less than the other. Right. So, so it's, so again, it's not about our, um, you know, our, our almost Victorian, I don't know what, you know, attitudes of, of human sexuality about, Oh, I'm naked. Oh, I got a cover. Oh, yeah. It's not about that. Right. It's about this idea of difference does not need to make me feel inferior. Okay. And, and so not that we need to go walking around naked. I'm not. Right. That right. Either. So the whole idea of being, made from a rib was not apparent in that because it was from the side of Adam, perhaps sawing Adam in half somehow, or taking that, uh, the clay and taking it apart and refashioning both to be yeah. uh, the beings that would uh, be able to work together to partner with each other and to um, make things 
good. Continue that goodness in so, creation. I, I, I'm glad you said clay uh, because part of the Adam. The mud. Is the mud creature, right? Yeah. Because the earth is Adama. Right. You know, right. Adam is made from Adama. Right. Uh, we get the same words in human when humanity is human mm -hmm. is part of the word humus, which means dirt or earth. Right. You know, we get the same kind of thing. Right. But yeah, if we are clay and if we're malleable, God can cut us in half and create a whole new thing with just remolding the clay. That's kind of what the story is saying poet poetically, not scientifically. Right. <laughs> right. So, so the whole idea of mallea malleability, how can we then be malleable as humans and say, I can be changed. I can be transformed. Well, it, I, th I think an aspect of that is to recognize the transformation that's available, perhaps. Okay. Because um, like what I was saying about my Calvinist evangelical upbringing, if, I wanted, if God wanted to transform me, I would think, well, certain things are off limits. You can't be more, make me more human because humanity has fallen and failed. You've got to make me more spiritual. Okay. So, so I think the idea of, yes, God can transform us, but God's going to transform us toward God's original intention for us. Right. Regardless of what our biases and assumptions might be. Okay, and there is work on our part, but not that that work saves us, but that there is, in the sense of our partnering with God, we are not just saying, okay, here I am, do with me as you please. It's more like, what can I do? How, how can I be more like the person I'm meant to be? Right. And, and, and I, th I think what I'm saying is the more we understand what God intended for us, the more we will be open to allow God to let us become that. So if I have a view that as a man, I'm more uh, authoritative, more important than you because you're a woman, because you came from just a rib, mm -hmm. I'm not going to allow God to transform me into a person who believes in equality. You know, I mean? you know what I mean? So, so we limit our own transformation yeah, yeah, based yeah. on our perspectives. Yes. And so that's okay. why I think going back to these original poems is a really important place to start. But what about, what if there are people who aren't willing to let the original language and the original intent have any effect on them? It's God's story. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, it's, it's, God's it's, it's God's story, uh, one that I believe uh, one that I believe that holds wisdom um, for how to order and, and to live our lives. Um, it's not a literal story. That's one of the reasons I love the word poem here. I mean, this is a poem uh, that's meant to convey God's active work. Do I dare say you probably just lost some people? <laughs> By calling it a poem? Uh, by saying it's not a literal story. Mm, not, at least not the people I know. Okay. <laughs> at least mostly. Um, you know, I think there's so much more to this than we're going to get into today. Right. And it's been, it's almost been 40 minutes. Oh, wow. So I was aiming at 30, but there's so much more to talk about. But one of the things, a couple of things is I'd recommend looking at these original stories from chapter one and chapter two. What did a human being do? What was it? What would, what did God create a human being to do? And if you can, maybe it might be worth looking at some various translations to get an idea of how different 
uh, translators yeah. have have worded these stories. Yeah, and perhaps. pushing some of the limits on that. That's where the place, like I think, the mes- message comes in handy. Yeah. Is it really pushes the metaphors. Um, but but to expand on that, but being a human is this partner with God. In both in both cases, mm-hmm. it's partnering with God. Uh, it's not even thinking in terms of God as treating us as underlings. God is with us at the very beginning. Yeah. And so when we come around to the Christmas season and talk about Emmanuel, God with us, it's part of this original story. Which is pretty beautiful and pretty much a beautiful original blessing. And then when we talk about the, the you know, later on, if we talk about the first commandment that you shall not make any graven images and it's mainly no images of God. You cannot create idols with your own hands and call it God. One of the reasons for that is because humanity carries the image of God. That's where God's image can be found. Mm. Okay, so that's maybe a good spot to leave off on. All right. All right. Well, you've been <laughs> not holy. This has been not holier than you. <laughs> and you know it now. <laughs> yeah, you do. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Carla. I'm Craig. And we uh, will talk again next week. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Well, hey, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. Not holier than you. (laughs) Uh, And boy, we really like that title because I think it's true. Correct. (laughs) Well, I have to say it so quickly. I'm sorry. I know I'm not holier than anybody else. Oh, I thought you meant me. Okay. No, no, no. So I'm talking about myself. uh, So we're a couple of pastors. Yep, we pastor a small congregation of Anabaptist Mennonites here in in Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yep. We're just learning this stuff and trying to figure it out along with you. So if you if we say something that's heretical or horrible or you think we're just wrong, that's okay. We pro- we might be. We're learning as we go. Well, I don't think we're heretical in no. any way, but... Um, <laughs> I try a little. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, we are glad that you joined us and we hope that you'll join us again. Great. All right. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.